Hello and welcome to our first post swamp up episode of DevOps Speakeasy. Um, that you can see by our both faces that we are very relieved that Swamp Up is, is behind us. That was super stressful, but now we're back. And my name is Baruch Sadogurski. I'm a head of DevOps Advocacy in JFrog. And with me, my co-host, Kat Cosgrove, developer advocate in JFrog. Welcome and hello. And our guest for today is... There we go. Uh, let me see. I have... Uh, here we go. Uh, is Jeffrey Groman? That's correct. That's it. Yeah, you got it right. And Jeffrey is a cybersecurity guy. That you know what? We have a tradition here when we go, and the first question is, who is Jeffrey Groman? All right. So that's, that should be an easy one. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a cybersecurity guy for um, for most of my career. Um, I started out um, doing you know, IT and, and some dev work way back when, but for about the last 20 years or so, um, I've been focused solely on, you know, we started out by calling it network security and then, you know, it probably became information security. And for a long time, it was application security and now it's just cyber securities. But however you want to return it, that's what I've been doing for, for the most, most of my career now. Uh, DevSecOps? You didn't switch to DevSecOps. Everybody switched to DevSecOps. Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, I'm not such a big fan of that <laughs> of that term. Um, I kind of feel like that should be um, implied. I don't know that we need to have yet another terminology. You know, I think cybersecurity sort of covers it all. Um, but to me, DevOps should include sec and if it doesn't then um you're bolting it on which is which is really the problem that we've always had is that we've always been bolting it on and that's i think what we need to get away from it's going to be an amazing podcast that i i already see i have so much fun so yeah yeah um speaking about devsecops bolted on we forgot about it it should be included all that this is like on point and i think to to the defense of whoever came with the term DevSecOps, I'm, I'm not sure it was John Willis or he's just a really big advocate of it, but I think it's it's all safe to say that it should be implied, but since it's not, let's make a marketing trick out of it. Let's throw a flashing name on it so people will start thinking about SAC when they think, Dev, uh, when they think DevOps. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think that's probably, you know, it's so interesting to me. So much in security, um, the terminology comes from so many different places. A lot of times it's it's companies like uh, Gartner, you know, other analysts who are sort of throwing something out there because they're looking for, you know, the new angle, the new topic that, hey, what's, what's new and exciting that we can write about and make a magic quadrant about and all that. Um, so... I mean, I, I definitely understand that argument um, that we want to sort of bring out the idea that security needs to be built in and therefore we'll sort of, you know, throw it into the name as well. Um, I think what, you know, what's really challenging, though, is just getting the right mindset, the right culture, the right experience, you know, into the into the teams that are running um, either from the dev side or the, or, or the dev op side. And, you know, what I've seen is that when you sort of try to throw SEC into it, what you're doing is taking a security person who's probably not all that familiar with DevOps or with Dev in general, and you're trying to get them to sort of use all of the sort of bolt-on stuff that I was mentioning earlier. You know, hey, are we running your code through the static analyzer? Are we running dynamic scans against it? Are we doing pen tests? And that's not what DevSecOps is really about, right? I think it's it's more about how are we doing it from an automated standpoint? How are we how are some of the um, automated testing that we want to be performing? How many of those test cases are security test cases as opposed to just you know functionality or or whatever? And sort of building that into the into the culture where um, when I'm building test cases, that's part of what I'm doing, right? I, I'm I'm thinking about is thinking about the uh, the issues from security as well as just from straight functionality. Um, and, and obviously there, there's a lot of bleed over. There's a lot of overlap between functionality and security. I mean, some, uh, many times 
what we find to be a security issue we found because we inadvertently typed in something we didn't mean to do. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, that's interesting. I didn't expect that to happen. Um, wow, that looks like a security bug. Um, so there's certainly a lot of that overlap anyway, but that's really where we want to get to is where it's just, it's not just a bolt on, it's, it's really sort of built in and, and it's just how we're thinking about things all the way from the start. I mean, I think that's ultimately the goal of DevSecOps as a concept to make sure that everybody is thinking about it the whole time. Uh, it's unfortunate that we're cramming uh, like marketing terms on top of buzzwords on top of marketing terms. But if that's what it gets, if that's what it takes to make uh, the developers and the ops team consider security from the very beginning, then I'm willing to tolerate yet another buzzword personally. Yeah, as as we said, I mean it's a, it's a marketing it's a marketing term. It's for for raising awareness, and I think it's a good thing. Now, getting back to your question, but wait, that cybersecurity is not DevSecOps. Well, that's true, but it's true for everything else. Let's take QA for example. This is also uh, for 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 testers. But DevOps is not what it is about, right? So. Um, DevOps, the QA in DevOps is about automation, is about baking it into pipelines and everything. But for a particular expert in QA and testing, it, their life is about something else. So it's it's always an issue. So what should we do? Yeah, you know, I I, I really um, totally agree with that. I, I um, you know, and, and honestly, I think we're 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 all sort of saying you know the same thing, in, in that it's really sort of baking it in. Um, I think. You know, where I see a lot of the challenge still, too, is that I think some organizations have really bought into um, DevOps and have really become more of an agile sort of learning um, organization. And, you know, then you sort of have so many of the others, you know, that you have everybody else, really. I mean, you've got some who are still um, admitting that, yeah, we still do waterfall, we still do it sort of the old way, and we haven't come around. And, and then you've got this sort of hybrid approach of where organizations are, you know, seemingly doing things in a more agile fashion, but it's more of this sort of hybrid approach. And, you know, I think this is where also, you know, you sort of get into this, um, this issue where we're still trying to build, you know, build it in and, and tack it on. And I think you're right. I think in, in, you know, and I think this is probably a lot of environments that we see today are sort of in this hybrid mo mode of operating where we do need to sort of advertise it and say, hey, wait a second here. Security needs to be, you know, as as you're figuring this out and as you're, you know, sort of going down the path of, of um, more towards agile and more towards DevOps, then security really does need to be put right into the mix there. Um, and I think, you know, just to I guess agree with you guys. <laughs> I think that's where uh, it really does sort of fit fit in a little bit better in terms of like you know just just sort of putting up the banner and saying yeah hey this is where it needs to be. It can't just be um, you know testing after the fact. Hey you know it's the gate check before we move into production. Right that's how it used to be. Um, and so I, I I think you're right. I think for for many organizations um, it, it does become a banner to help sort of figure this out. But I think that's but I also think that we're just, you know, we're covering up a, a larger issue, which is that um, the whole hybrid approach in general is is, is a challenging one. It doesn't work all that well. And um, but that's a bigger, you know, typically that's that's bigger than just security. That's just one, you know, one aspect of of the challenge that you know that you face in that in that sort of situation. Fortunately, uh, developer advocates like me exist to kind of bridge the gap between it's just glossy marketing and uh, like actually talking to engineers about the, the the core of the technical problem in a way that uh, makes sense to them, but is also appealing to their maybe considerably less technical boss who actually makes that decision. It's uh, basically the whole reason this role exists i think that's that's true um i have a question for you jeffrey you mentioned that the hybrid approach doesn't work for well at least it's hard for for a lot of organizations so and and you are a cybersecurity consultant and advisor and and i guess when you go into organization and you consult to ceos and cios this comes a lot right so basically you come there because they have problems with that and and they look at you for for a solution. What would be obviously every organization is different, but what would be like your rule of thumb 
of how do you start going about it and changing it from, well, we have this infosec guy whose purpose is to be fired when we have a problem to actually solution that actually works. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, so a lot of what I do going into organizations um, is actually about education and training and that sort of thing. Um, I, I think that uh, historically security people have not been um, exposed and, and really had that role of being a developer or, you know, being part of a development organization. So that's a challenge. I mean, a lot of InfoSec or security people come from a background of, you know, implementing things like security policies and, you know, sort of being the auditors, right? Keeping an eye on things. And so if I go back, you know, just my own experience, if I go back in time, let's say about, you know, 10 years, maybe a little bit more, maybe 12 years, um, that was really when the notion of application security was sort of becoming more mainstream, um, which is kind of funny because we're talking about 2010, maybe 2008, right? Um, and yet I'm trying to th remember, but I think the first SQL injection, um, you know, sort of vulnerability that came out, I want to say that that was back in the 90s. I want to say that that prob probably was even 10 or 12 or 15 years even before that. So oh, in other sure, words, that's the whole problem. Right, right. So application yeah. security was something that on the one hand we knew about, on the other hand, nobody really was focused on that. I mean, I shouldn't say nobody. I'm just saying when we look at, you know, most organizations, um, it just wasn't something that was really all that interesting or, or really wasn't all that important to most people. It really sort of took um, a long time, you know, and, and security sort of lags behind, I think, you know, it, it did. I, I, I think we're in a different situation today. I, I, I don't think we sort of had that huge lag that we did. Um, but for a long time, you didn't have anybody who really had apps. I mean, AppSec was, was brand new, like I said, about 10, 12 years ago for most people. And I think that's still a challenge that we have today is that there are still a lot of um, InfoSec leaders. You know, imagine today your, your chief information security officer or whoever is heading your security team um, when they were more of an individual contributor and a security person, um, we're probably going back 10 or 20, 20 years. And in those days, like some of these things didn't really exist. And, and um, software development was in a very different world than it is today. And so a lot of it is really the education. Um, to get back to, to your question, it's really about helping those folks understand that um, security, you know, how, how do you embed? You know, a lot of it, it, it's easy to say, yes, it should be DevSecOps. It should be embedded. It should be, it shouldn't be bolted on. We can all understand that and agree to it, but it's a different story when you're trying to actually work with a CIO and a CISO and saying, okay, how do we bridge this gap? How do we help you guys to understand um, what skill sets need to be put in place? What, um, what it really takes to build security in? Um, what are the, you know, what are the tools? What are the skills? What what are the processes? I mean, a lot of times it's, you know, getting back to that hybrid approach we talked about, the processes aren't really all that well developed to fit in with what we're talking about, to really sort of have security, um, you know, embedded within, you know, a team that has the responsibility for, you know, software development, infrastructure, um, deployment, you know, all that sort of, you know, built into one team and yet security needs to get in there as well. Um, so I, I find that that's really the, the, the crux of it and organizations who aren't trying to be, you know, aren't trying to learn and aren't trying to um, improve where they are from a skills perspective are the ones that really um, have more challenges and, and really have a hard time trying to sort of piece all this together. Uh, what would you do if you were in control of the entire industry? What would you do? To <laughs> I think Jeffrey is pretty close to that. <laughs> if you were in control of the entire industry, uh, what what changes would you implement immediately to kind of uh, unfuck this integration between the security team and the developers and the ops team? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to try and get that grandiose, but let me answer it a little bit differently. I think that where things are going, right? Because that's that's really what you know. It, it, I think that that's the, really the 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 um, the way that we should be thinking about this is, you know, where's the industry going, and and where do we where will this most likely or or where should it end up? You know, to to I guess to be uh, 
to be more more uh, uh, direct with your with with your question. But I I think where we're going to end up is today we have huge security teams. So if, if you're a big enterprise um, and you've invested a lot in security, you've got a huge security team, which is separate from you know all the other pieces of IT. And I think that's going to go away. I think that. Um, at least in a lot of shops, I think what's going to happen is security skills get embedded into um, in, into the IT folks, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's development, um, you know, there's network. I mean, there's, there's all the other pieces of, of IT. And I think security just gets embedded into there. I think where you have a separate security team is probably going to be more of the audit side. You know, if you think about it, security is really made up of two pieces. One is proactively, what are we doing to try and defend ourselves, right? We want to try and prevent as much as we can. We want to try and um, defend ourselves in, in a proactive way. And then there's the flip side of security, which is, you know, that we're either auditing and trying to figure out, okay, where have we gone wrong? Or we're responding to incidents that are going on. And I think that's what security is going to end up with, you know, end up as. Um, and then in the years down the road is that, it's going to be just auditors and incident responders. And so we're going to end up with nothing but red team, blue team at companies, no uh, entire security department. I think all the rest of the security department really just becomes embedded into IT. I think security skills just become part of if I'm a, you know, if I'm a, I don't know, cloud architect um, or engineer, then I am, I need to be embedding security into that. If I'm, um, you know, anything that I do, if I'm a systems person, if I'm a developer, anything that I'm doing, security just needs to be part of the stuff that I'm doing. Um, you know, and then the auditors are there to sort of keep an eye on things to make sure that we're doing it correctly. So, yeah, I mean, in, in you know, if we want to use the, the, the more modern terminology, the red teamers are trying to figure out and make sure that we're doing all the proactive stuff that we're supposed to be doing is actually happening, right? So... And you're sort of dividing your your um, you know and separating duties that way, right? You've got the security people are sort of just keeping an eye on on you know um, on the hen house and saying, hey, is you know are the foxes being kept at bay? Um, and again, you know, I think the other piece is the blue team, like what you said, because that is so security focused and it's only security focused, which is how do we detect incidents and then respond to them quickly. So yeah, red team, blue team becomes um, all that you have really in a security team and everything else is just embedded in IT. That's, uh, I, I think that's the best way. And I do think that's probably where things are gonna go. I'm not opposed to it, I think, but uh, it's it's different. My, my issue with it is uh, other industries also, or other corners of the tech industry are also making uh, increasing demands about what a just run-of-the-mill software developer has to know to be functional. And there's a point where it's not reasonable anymore and you have regular software developers doing what used to be like four people's jobs. So like, where's where's the line? Like how does the average like web developer need to like go get a CISSP or... In question. I mean, are, are we... You know, if I understand what you're asking, I think what you're saying is, are we just sort of adding on more tasks, more skills to people who are probably already overloaded as as it is? Yeah, that's um, a, that's a, absolutely it. Cause like developers are already yeah. starting to be expected to be like experts in ops and also have like outstanding social skills and uh, also understand networking super well. And net networking is black magic for a lot of people. It's totally understandable. And and security is another black magic yeah, for a lot of people. Security yeah. is also black magic. So look, most people, most of the developers I know only run into security when uh, the vulnerability scanning tool their company is using fires an error or some CVE is hot enough to make the rounds on like normal people Twitter, like the F5 issue from the weekend. You've talked about um, you know, having to be a, a network person or, you know, the other skills that are involved. I mean, having to be a cloud person, right? Understanding, you know, how do I, I may have to not only be a DevOps person, um, but now I have to become a, I don't know, Docker's Kubernetes doing that implementation in AWS, Google, and as well. I mean, it's just, I, I think that's um, a broader issue than just security. Um, I think what, you know, 
So I think that that's probably more of an organizational issue, which you're bringing up, which is that you're just sort of um, people in IT are already overwhelmed. And I think that's that that is a that is a problem. But I don't think it's a security problem. That's more of a cultural organizational problem because um, there's there's I mean, but there are ways of handling that. So focused on security, I think if that becomes an issue, what I would see happening is and I think you're right in some instances you're not going to become a quote unquote security expert um, in everything and be a, I don't know, Java developer, Ruby developer, or whatever else, you know, whatever it is. Um, But I I think just to add on to that, I think that's true for security too. So for most security people, um, even if we're application security people, we're probably, you know, how many, how many, um, parts of the technology stack can we become experts in? So if I'm a security guy, do I know all the parts of the different databases out there, database technologies that are out there, different um, coding languages, um, different encryption algorithms that I can be using? I mean, there's there's so much to it that I think even in security, we, you know, we're, we're already specializing and subspecializing. Um, so I think to add on to, you know, to what I was saying before and to maybe try to address your, your question, I think what probably ends up happening is, at least for those organizations who are smart enough and, and can afford it and are willing to afford it, you start to have you know subject matter experts that sort of can um, you know go between teams or float between teams and say, hey, you know, I am the expert in let's say database security or encryption or whatever it is. And when those issues come up, either because of CVE or because we're in the design stages or you know, we went through the threat modeling, um, you know, uh, exercise, and we have identified that, hey, this is an, an area that we need to be very focused on or, or we have to be concerned about. We bring in that SME, and that SME sort of helps us to figure out, okay, um, if this is truly something we need to be concerned about, what's the best approach? Like, how do we architect it? How do we how do we implement it, you know, to uh, so that we don't, you know, to, to basically avoid having an exposure or a vulnerability or, or what have you. So I again, I, I, I still think it's the same paradigm, but I could see that for, let's say, the network person too. Um, that becomes an SME that, you know, is able to consult to, you know, multiple teams on top of it, should be thinking about doing it, uh, something like that. Yeah, and uh, I think that's the concept and the, the idea that everybody should know everything about everything is... Uh... Um, of for in order to implement DevOps is is impractical and impossible, and uh, people only have that much mental capacity and availability to be to be able to do that. So instead, we do have the T-shaped people who know a lot about one thing and then just enough to manage the conversation about everything else, and they are the subject matter experts that are part of the empowered team or. As you said, nomad between teams and apply their um, their expertise when when needed. I uh, I think that's kind of basics for uh, and it's true for everything for security for network, but also for infrastructure stuff. How many of us know Kubernetes well enough, or uh, and for development as well? How many of us uh, are that good of developers? So it is it is the specialization is not going away with DevOps. It's just we uh, we do have this uh, those people who are deeply specializing in something, but in, in as a part of a bigger team. What you mentioned, there was something big, the F five uh, this weekend. What what happened? I I'm no way a subject matter expert in the infosec, so I'm just curious. They take that close of a look at it. Um, I did see that it was. I think it had a CBSS score of ten, though. So uh, I think it was pretty serious. Uh, it- Nasty. Um, you can just execute arbitrary code, delete files. Uh, it's an issue with the uh, uh, big IP devices from F5. And it was uh, it was a do not put this off until Monday. You need to go. You need to patch now. Problem. It was an emergency. Nice. IP device, which is going to be internet facing by its definition, right? That's that is the landing point for all of your internet traffic. If you've got, you know, if your websites, web applications are sitting behind an F5, so um, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a huge concern for anybody who's got F5s, which is a lot. I mean, they they own a lot of that space of load balancing, um, you know, across servers. So uh, yeah, 
of um, a lot of government agencies rely rely on uh, F5. So it's it's actually super super serious. So tech Twitter, like even outside of infosec, Twitter was in a huge panic all weekend. It was very it was exciting to watch from the outside, but boy, I feel bad for everybody that had to deal with that over the weekend. Yeah, related, um, but also unrelated. Um, I, I just saw a report from some uh, German security agency that did security audit on uh, routers and modems from all the modern um, um, modern providers. And it turns out that they have huge amount of vulnerabilities, very severe ones, stuff that but it's just not being patched. Most of them are running some super old version of, of Linux with tons of vulnerabilities that is not being patched. And that brings me to uh, the, the routers which are not there, and those are all the ones that getting updated over the air and can be patched without uh, actually need to be wait for this firmware download to be released and then someone will patch it and most of the people won't. So this is one of the ways to actually um, deal with all this stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it's a huge problem. Uh, I mean, what we're talking about you know, usually when, we, when you're talking about like modems and routers that are vulnerable like that, you're talking about like home or, you know, small business and small business, just to define that, we're probably talking about, you know, like a small business of, you know, less than a hundred people. That's usually who's going to be using this type of equipment. Um, I mean, it could be a small branch office or something like that as well. But yeah, I mean, those historically have been a huge problem because, you know, think about your own home router. How often do you log into the interface on it. It's usually a web interface, but how long, how often do you actually go into it, check your firmware, see if there's an update available and actually go through the, you know, the hassle of downloading it and, and running it. Um, yeah, I, I'd say most people never even think about it unless all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't work or, you know, some, there's something that breaks that makes them go into the interface and, and do something. So, you know, and, and, Unfortunately, most of those systems, you know, they never they were never set up to like automatically, um, you know, look for updates and and update on, you know, and run the updates, um, you know, behind the scenes. Like, you know, for instance, we see today with modern software like Chrome will do that, and you know, so many other pieces of software that we run today just sort of do those updates behind the scenes because we know that those are vulnerable, and we know that so many um, exploits come out against things like browsers and other, you know. Um, other pieces of software that users use it all the time. <clears throat> there is a paradigm to sort of fix those, but unfortunately, like home routers and, and modems, that's, you know, it's not common. Um, you know, and a lot of those might just be in place for years and years and years before anybody even thinks about it. So it, it's absolutely a problem. I mean, we've seen a lot of botnets that are built purely on routers. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm totally agreeing with you uh, to solve the problem, but again, so many people are still running, you know, old hardware that um, until you go through a refresh, um, you, you're stuck with that situation until, like I guess, until they replace it. Yeah, there's actually a, a very angry section of uh, a talk I like to give on on exactly that uh, unpatched software and firmware in uh, like smart home devices and uh, networking devices, just because of the like how common it is for people to just ignore it or for those devices to not even be built with the ability to be updated unless you count flashing it as an update strategy. And uh, my favorite example is when uh, a bunch of people's like smart home devices, like their Samsung smart refrigerator or whatever got harnessed for a botnet. And it just like, it's so comical to me, the idea of a whole bunch of like refrigerators and washing machines and toaster ovens <laughs> being used to DDoS something. Oh my god, I love it. It's so funny. It's terrible, but it's so funny. Yeah, I, I think it's all it's it's all kind of show us the exact same thing that while we take the IT to more and more places, security security lags behind. That's kind of our uh, technical depth to security through everything. It's just with servers we kind of caught up a little bit with with the rest of them. We we we, we didn't. And uh, speaking about the, um, how often do you update the routers, um, the problem is not even that. The problem is how often the update is even available. So I look at this report, and it will be on the show notes as well, of course. Um, um, so they, they speak about the average number of days since the last update was 
378. So you even you you even can update if you want to. You will only have um, One once year. once a year, and then 20, 22 of one hundred twenty seven devices that they checked wasn't updated in the last two years, and the worst case was um, one hundred. Uh, sorry, nineteen hundred sixty nine days, which is more than five years without security patches. And this is even for people who want to get the patches and install them, they are just not like available. Right. And so all of their workload related material is going across a network that's being managed by something that's out of date and most likely vulnerable. Um, and to your point, it may not even be patchable. And yet Texas Instruments can still find the time and energy to release a patch that prevents you from playing Doom on their calculators in 2020. <laughs> yeah, it's all about priorities. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah, yeah, but it's as I mentioned, it's interesting which routers aren't here, and those, and and this is all those uh, which updated automatically, like for example the Google Nest uh, Wi-Fi and the Google Wi-Fi and the, the Samsung whatever they call them, and there are a bunch of others, and and they're just not there because they get if there is a vulnerability, it's being patched, it's being pushed to people, and there is no drama around it. So uh, I guess that there are ways to do that. And I think my next question will be culture again, why it doesn't happen. It's not like a new concept. It's concept been with us for at least a decade. And we pretty much closed the gap. That's the, the technology, the, the technical depth that I mentioned in the server world, but not in others like IoT or whatever. Yeah, I, I think that the biggest problem is that the um, you know, for the most part, the technology works, right? So it's functionality versus security. Um, and anytime you've got that sort of mismatch, you're going to be, you know, at a disadvantage from the security standpoint. Um, you know, think about, um, here, here's a good paradigm. And I think it's a good comparison. Um, you know, it used to be that with cars and I mean, we're not driving so much <laughs> these days, but, you know, assuming that you're driving your car, you know, that about every three months or so, um, you know, if you're putting enough miles on it, you should be changing your oil, right? So you got to do the maintenance on it. And here's the problem. If you don't do that, so if you ignore it or if you forget about it or you don't think about it, right, then you know that down the road, at some point, the engine is just going to fail and your car is not going to work. But the same analogy doesn't apply to a lot of technology like home routers. And I mean, we see this all the time in the manufacturing space as well, you know, where they're using very old technology that functionally works, but is extremely, you know, not secure, insecure. Um, but you had that mismatch because the functionality is there. It doesn't, it's not like if I don't apply the security patch, it no longer works in two weeks or two months. Um, it'll still continue to work just fine, most likely. And that's, I think, the biggest challenge is that until we, unless we have that sort of alarm clock of, hey, it's not going to work when we need it, um, mm -hmm. we sort of let, you know, let security slide, uh, you know, unless we, our security people or for whatever reason, you know, uh, you like playing with your home router or something like that. But I think that's the biggest problem is that functionality continues to work. So mm. what, what you are saying is that security bugs are not bugs enough to actually bother people. <laughs> um, as being part of, let's say, a botnet, your router stops working. No one's even going to know it. I mean, how many people, if there was fancy Samsung refrigerators, even knew that their, you know, that their refrigerator was part of a, you know, DDoS bot? They probably didn't. Um, you yeah, know, so I actually, it actually I don't remember how they got caught. What's that? I don't remember how. I don't remember deep docking. Yeah, send me send me the link for the show notes when you find it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, until something affects me directly, I'm just not even going to think about it. I mean, we're all busy. I mean, I, I, I don't even want to sort of point the blame at people because, I mean, everyone's busy. There's so much, you know, going on in people's lives and worrying about, you know, my internet router is just not, you know, not top of mind for most people unless it stops working. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a way around that. I think that, you know, the router manufacturers, and this is true for anybody, um, you know, put, put a big uh, banner up or something like that where, hey, 
you know, it's time to patch. We, we just had one, so we, we don't have a uh, connected refrigerator. It's not an IoT device, but our refrigerator started beeping at us because the water filter had to be replaced. And, you know, you only deal, you know, you, you only put up with that for a, a few days, a couple of weeks before you just replace it. Like I'm just tired of seeing that banner. So I think the technology companies could do the same thing. Just put up a banner that says, you know, firmware is available. You got to update. Why why do you need why do you need a, a a banner and why do you need someone to actually go ahead and do it with water filters you have a problem that you actually need to take this thing out of your refrigerator buy a new one and plug it in that's not the case with software patches you don't actually need anyone to to do it isn't it better ideally <clears throat> ideally you're right i mean ideally you're right um i think that you know we've seen that Patching that happens behind the scenes has, has, has worked pretty well. Like I gave the example of Chrome. Um, we see that it works fairly well with, with you know, um, with certain pieces of software. People are just sort of used to it. Um, and people know it's going to get updated. Um, the problem is, you know, for most home users, they probably wouldn't notice the difference. But here's the problem. If that patch doesn't work or if that patch breaks something, right, that's always the concern. Um, the manufacturers have to make that decision. Um, could they do it? Probably. And 99% of the time, uh, just to throw out a number that may not be accurate, right? It's probably going to be just fine. Um, but, you know, if you put out that patch and all of a sudden the functionality breaks, then you don't have that mismatch anymore. And now you've got a big problem on your hands that, um, you know, especially if this are being used, like I say, at a manufacturing plant or somewhere else that, you know, can't go down. That's the problem is, you know, for those types of patches. That's really where we should go, and that's. But I think I'm just trying to be realistic. I think that's the one of the reasons, at least, why there's been slow adoption. When you think about something like a router that would take down, you know, your access, take down all internet access if it if the patch doesn't work correctly. But but first of all, we know how to deal with that, and we we know how to deal with it since decades now. Remember Windows ninety um, five. When you plugged in your new um, uh, video card and you wanted to change the resolution, what did you see on the screen? Remember this counter that said, exactly, that's exactly that. And if it's not, what's happening? Rollback. That's exactly that. You you have a patch, you come back online, you check that all the systems are green, and then you stick with it. And if not, just roll it back. Um, so I don't think that's that's good good enough of the excuse. Uh, but um, I think that the real the real problem is that, as you mentioned, maybe it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you obviously uh, it's important for you. You are the subject matter expert. It's important for Cat. That's her hobby. Look at her T-shirt. Um, it's uh, obviously it makes it it makes perfect sense for you, Fox. But maybe not to the um, to the manufacturers. They could implement it, and they decided not to. Instead, they go for two and five years unpatched, and looks like we're still going to buy their routers next because, frankly, no one cares. Yeah. I mean. Part of me wants this to stay a little bit broken so that I still have fun stuff to break at DEF CON while you're poking fun at my hobby. But, you know, how am I going to have a CTF experience if I don't have a, a totally commonly used Cisco home router that hasn't been patched in three years? <laughs> no matter how well we design it, there's always going to be those problems. Uh, but you're right, there's probably fewer of them if we get better at it. Um, but I think, you know, to your point, Baruch, I, I think that the until there's enough of an incentive for the manufacturers to change, and there isn't because most people ignore these, um, you know, it, it's interesting what's, I think, what's happened, right? So we always, what's really happened in the industry is we've sort of looked at it the flip side. We can't stop all of the um, exploits from happening. In other words, the vulnerabilities are going to be there. They're going to be exploited. We can't stop that most of the time. So instead, we're going to focus our defenses on the opposite side. So for instance, um, you know, Akamai and many others have gotten really, really good at being resilient against DDoS attacks. Mm -hmm. So, right, I mean, it doesn't really matter that we have all these huge bots out there because as long as your website your properties are behind Akamai, man, you're you're golden. I mean, you may have to pay out 
you know, pay through the nose to to have that service. But, um, you know, you know that you're pretty safe that way. Um, you know, most companies are, I mean, we still see that most um, most uh, successful attacks are happening through things like phishing and, you know, the, those types of, you know, getting a user to open so an attachment right. or, you know, yeah, click on a link. And again, I don't want to point the fingers at people because so many of those attacks are more sophisticated today that it's hard, you know, it'd be hard to really stop all of them. But we realize that we can't stop all of them. And so instead what we focus is on, okay, if that user's laptop gets compromised, how quickly can I detect it and how quickly can I respond to it so that they can't get me further, right, than just, you know, having that initial compromise. So that's where security is really ended up focusing on. Um, and again, I, I don't want to say it's it's good or bad. I think it's just, it's reality. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, there really aren't a lot of incentives when, when the functionality is there. Um, there just isn't, you know, there just aren't the incentives to change around how they're building the software that runs on the routers. At least, again, that's just my my guess, my conjecture. Um, but it's, but it is interesting for us to watch to sort of see how, you know, where we have focused our defenses because we're certainly not focusing on the source of the problem. We're focusing much more on, you know, the effect of the problem. Yeah, I mean, the government and banks and insurance companies are so incredibly slow to change anything and they they've got so much red tape involved in changing anything i i'm not sure that automated updates that happen in the background without consent would fly for any of those industries so it's probably also an issue of potentially losing them as customers uh i mean how long did government agencies stay on Windows XP or are they still on Windows XP in some places? But that's exactly that's exactly the opposite, right? We, we speak about all those um, regulations and and the efforts to make those systems much more secure because those are the really important systems like the banks and the government and our private data in whatever uh, Ministry of Interior of the, f this form or other, another country of another. All those databases are the most important uh, objects to protect. And instead of embracing the most advanced ways to protect it, what you're saying is, well, no, they won't accept it because what? Because they, they prefer won't. to stay vulnerable? Because they're, they won't, because they're regulated by Luddites and they're not, <laughs> that's that's it. They're, they're too... Uh, a risk averse i guess to uh to change without doing hiring like six outside contractors to do a bunch of research on uh whether or not they need to update whether or not it's safe to update if there's an actual benefit in updating what are the potential ramifications of updating how long is this going to get support can we convince microsoft to give us 20 years of extended support on windows 7 or whatever so i i i think it is it is still a barrier the the sheer size and bureaucracy of government agencies and banks being afraid of more modern anything i think there, there's absolutely that piece of it i mean there's you know um it, it's culture you know changing cultures is, is tough to do but i but i think there's also another aspect of it if anybody who's been in technology i mean you know i, I remember we used to call things like, you know, when you're trying to do things, when when there's supposed to be this automated process that, was, that always worked, we used to call it, that, that it was, you know, it would happen automatically, right? Yeah. And it was sort of this like, right, it's this sort of skeptical phrase because everybody knows that half the time it doesn't work. <laughs> so um, there's skepticism in, in, you know, in the industry of anytime you say, oh, yeah, these, you know, these patches will just go rolled out, they'll work just fine. Uh, you can always roll them back, you know, anytime you need to, and you know, and I'll be fine. And everyone will sort of roll their eyes and say, "Yeah, we've heard that one before, and that one's <laughs> come back to bite us." Yeah, you know, like going back to like all the F5 operators over the weekend who are totally disrupted, you know, holiday weekend and all that. How many people um, had a similar experience because they rolled something out that was supposed to work just fine? And their whole weekend got destroyed because it didn't work out all, all that well. So I think there's also that sort of healthy skepticism anytime you say, you know, this will work, you know, automatically. Yeah, it feels like there's no winning a little bit. Uh, like, there, there's always going to be 
an F5 CVE that blows up somebody's weekend. I don't, I, I don't know how we like culture or code around the potential for that problem. There's always going to be somebody smarter and more nefarious than me. Uh, so. Yeah, but but the whole idea of of updating faster is actually acknowledging this fact, right? So yeah. w- what we are saying is yes, there will be a CVE, but the 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 speed of our response, how fast the the patch is in production, is our our security defense. And when you are saying, oh no 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 no, it's too dangerous to update, what uh, this is completely the opposite. The less the the less you update, the more in danger uh, you are. Well, you know what? Maybe uh, the banks and the insurance companies and the government you can you can go lobby for that. Go down to DC and just just scream at them. Yeah, that I, works. I, I'm sure that I'm sure that'll work. I'm sure that'll change their minds. Uh, but how, okay, okay. So uh, let's ask. We have a subject matter expert, Jeffrey. You are in the, in. The, uh, advocating you you're advocating for for this change uh, and i bet a lot of organizations that work with you actually resist this change of this ground of oh how we're going to update automatically everything would break how do you go about it yeah how do you go about that i mean it's 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 a matter of building uh, new processes because the only way i think you're going to get people to feel comfortable with an automatic update in a paradigm or, or system is that um, there are folks, you know, that are alerted and know that it's happening. People are monitoring it and watching to see from a performance monitoring standpoint that, you know, what happened before, what happened after, um, you know, and, and clearly it's not just the security people, the biggest, the biggest, um, I mean, the security people are going to be all for <clears throat> that type of a system to be put in place. The people who are going to drag their feet are the ones who are responsible for, um, you know, the functionality of the production environment. And, you know, the ones who drive their feet the most are going to be the ones who say we cannot ever go down. And there are many environments that will say that we cannot go down. Um, some of them are very legitimately and some of them not so, you know, perhaps not so legitimately when you look <laughs> at, you know, the risk, the risk of, of a control downtime versus the risk of, you know, a security issue incident causing, and you know, a whole bunch of disruption. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that's it. But I think there's the other piece that we, you know, we were talking about before we sort of left it is that you've got all these um, consumers who are just not interested. They couldn't care less. Um, and they're not incentivizing the manufacturers to do it. And they couldn't care less if you automatically updated or not. As long as their internet router is working, they couldn't care less. So it, it's, it's a huge problem because, you know, I think in, what I've seen personally um, is that there are more devices that are going that direction of automatic updates um, in this case and, and frequent updates as well. You know, not the five years that we're talking about. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, manufacturers out there who are, you know, who, who are going down that that the right path. But how many consumers are spending, you know, the money to upgrade to that new hardware, probably buying um, the more expensive gear? as opposed to just like the 30 or $40 home router, um, which is probably being updated every five years. So I think, again, it's, you know, it, that's part of the challenge is that on the one hand, you're going to have those who drag their feet. On the other hand, you have the ones who couldn't care less and therefore not even incentivizing the the uh, community to do so, the, the manufacturers to do so. And what you're basically left with is not a lot of incentive, right? Either way you look at it, there's not a lot of incentive to make this happen. And, and uh, I, so I don't know. I don't know how you change that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we knew that. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, but but it has to be, it has to be a way. I mean, one of the ways is that we will be so horrible and that, that everything will fall apart and then people will start thinking about it. But I guess that's not the best way to... Um, uh, to shift and and uh, it will be beneficial to improve stuff without uh, getting to the point of of, of complete uh, uh, distraction. Uh, so, Kat, do you have any ideas of how we get better without like really make people care about it because everything is way even more horrible than it is now? I man, my dad used to be an engineer, um, and he 
I, I don't think I could convince him to care about the security of his smart refrigerator or his home router. I, I don't think he does care about the, or did care about the security of his infrastructure when he still ran a business, but um, he doesn't care about his home equipment and I don't know how to make him care. And he's smart enough to understand the problem. He just, he doesn't see, he doesn't see a risk uh, or the risk that's there is um, not bad enough to outweigh the pain in the ass of making sure his home router's firmware is up to date. Uh, well, the three routers in his house, because he's got some kind of complicated nightmare in there. I, I don't know how to fix that. I think it has a, it is a problem that has to be solved with the manufacturers, not with the consumers. Uh, exactly. That's my point. Once they are automatically updated and he is automatically protected, boom, problem solved. Well, yeah. the problem is if it goes... If, if something goes wrong and then he lost the functionality, he lost the internet because of the software update that he didn't believe he, he even needed in the first place, of course. But again, this can be solved with a better culture of, of software updates. And the only way we make the whatever company makes, is it Netgear? I don't know. Whatever company makes the um, modem router combo that Comcast will rent you for $12 a month to change. The only way to make them change is to make it cost them money to not change. So the question is, how do we make it cost them money? But I think we already have an answer for that. That's the evolutionary pressure. That's the competition. And uh, the problem here is that, okay, Google patches your security vulnerabilities on your router is not good enough because, as we just said, security vulnerabilities is not a feature that you can sell. But if with that come other features that you can sell, then the security vulnerabilities come with it. So if Google says, well, we are selling you self-updating router and it will get new features like, I don't know, like the ability to shut it off on a timer for the kids to have time out, uh, and, and you, buy, you buy it for those improvements, you will get the security improvements kind of coming with it. Hmm. How do we sell people on that? Well, I think Google uh, routers and Samsung routers and other meshes which are updatable on the fly are pretty successful by now. So, I, I, But again, I think what you're looking at is, um, you know, their products are not the cheapest out there. So I think, you know, I think for those either consumers or businesses <laughs> that are concerned about these things, there are products that are already doing that whether it's Google, whether it's Asus. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch that are doing these kinds of things. Um, but it's a big marketplace out there. And you still have a lot of the lower end, lower cost. I think it's a good example of Comcast, right? The reason why, you know, they're going with a lower cost device that they can rent to you at a, at a lower cost. I mean, that's the whole reason why they're doing it um, is to try and make it a lower cost for the consumer. Because uh, if you want better performance and you want a better device, you're going to go out and buy it yourself anyway, not rent it. So there's a big marketplace out there. And I think what we're seeing is, like with any other product, there's, you know, you pay for um, the better product, you pay a higher price, you get better features. Better features from a functionality standpoint and probably better features from a security standpoint. Um, but if you're, what you're looking for is better price, then, you know, you're going to probably get stuck with something that, you know, functionally might just do, you know, the bare minimum and security doesn't even do that. Yeah, I'm trying to find like information at all on um, Comcast's combo gateway. Uh, and it's like, it's entirely white label branded now. It's it's the X5 gateway. And I, like, there's, they're not making this themselves. They've, they've bought it from somebody else. But who is it? But it's cheap. It's 14 bucks a month, like... Yeah, and I'm looking on another resource. It's called routersecurity.org, and they have an entire page dedicated to those which have the self-updating firmware, obviously recommending the consumers to actually take that. But by looking at this page, I can only imagine how many people come here. It looks like a page from 1995. Uh, I guess it's for, it's for enthusiasts and geeks, let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, yeah, there is a problem that how can we make software updates sexy? How about that? Said was right. Is that you? You bundle that into the other functionality that people are that, that you know people do care for. 
you know, to be honest, why do most people today in, in the year 2020, why, why is anybody upgrading their home router, home Wi-Fi? It's because you got yourself, your spouse and your kids are all at home. And all of a sudden you got a lot more devices. You need better Wi-Fi coverage. You need better speed and all that. That's the only reason why people are upgrading today. And if as part of that, you're getting a system that also happens to be more secure with automatic updates, then great. You know, you've already you've already sold them with the, with the features they're interested in. And now they're just. Yeah. I have a business plan. So what we are doing is <laughs> we we kind of can we, we kind of know how many severe security vulnerabilities we will have throughout the life of our product. Let's say we're aiming for five years until our router are obsolete because there is new format for Wi-Fi or whatever that we are not support. And we are going to hit with one security vulnerability a year. So we need to prepare for five uh, uh, major security patches. So what we are doing is we are taking, we're blocking 20% of the speed on our router in front. And then once a year, we will release a software update that we will make our router 5% faster and also patch this security vulnerability when it's out. So next time when you are about, well, I don't care about security vulnerabilities, I don't want to patch my router, but it also will give you 5% uh, performance boost, then you want to take it. How about that? <laughs> are we okay? I'll join Baruch's technology software update pyramid scheme. Yep, it is. It is a completely pyramid scheme. Growing 5% each year guaranteed. There you go. Cat hacks into it and uh, enables the extra 5% all, you know, all one all, time. All the 20%, all years. the 20% in front. Yeah, no, she, she won't do it. She won't do it because she knows that that's the only way to make people take this, the security patches and she knows it's important. So we're good. What if I'm a toddler and I'm really bad at delayed gratification? I'm the kid that would eat the marshmallow immediately instead of waiting to get a second one. Yeah, no, it will be hacked. And uh, yeah, for whoever hacked it will get everything. But you know what? Those people know that security vulnerabilities are important. They will patch it anyway. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Jeffrey, be, before we uh, before we uh, finish, there there is one question I wanted to ask. So I'm looking at your LinkedIn that will obviously we will be on show notes, and you have the kind of like a, a box with three principles that I guess it's kind of what you what you believe in and take into your mm -hmm. customers. Prepare your team, automate what you can, and educate. And the one that I am worried about is the second one: the automate what you can. And I guess my question will be, um, th those mantras, aren't they supposed to be what we strive to and what we strive to supposed to be automate everything? So uh, perhaps, I, I don't know that I would agree with that. Um, so within you know, security um, practices, it's really hard to automate everything. Um, sometimes it's a limitation with the technology and tools that we're using. Sometimes it's the fact that we want and need to have a human brain looking at something to make that sort of decision. Um, in other words, you know, so think about where, you know, I guess taking that idea, the ideal to the, you know, to the nth extreme and you say, okay, I want to automate this thing so that, or automate my security in such a way that I can detect an attack right away. Um, and I can stop it and remediate without anybody having to do anything, right? That, that's, that would be, I guess, that ideal. Um, and it sounds good. It sounds wonderful, but it's really hard to do that, right? It's really hard to, to figure out um, if I'm looking at some kind of a log entry, something that's giving me an idea of behavior that's going on on the network. Maybe it is something that's coming from coming off the wire, so it's packets I'm looking at. Um, maybe it is uh, a you know a process that's running on a system that wasn't running there yesterday, it's, or, or that's only running on one system and not running on the other two thousand systems. Um, something that just looks anomalous to me. Um, I generally cannot automate all of that. I'm going to have to have somebody look at it and make a decision. And so, it's automate where you can because nobody has enough budget to hire all of the people that they would like to hire on their security team. Um, but on the other hand, what you want to be able to try and do is automate where you can so that 
you know, your people aren't stuck just looking through all kinds of noise, right? You want your people to be focused on the stuff that actually requires a human brain, um, as opposed to just all the noise that's out there, all the false, false alerts, the false positives that we talk about. Um, yeah, you, you're right, but also this have been sold, uh, solved, and it have been solved with the QA getting back to where we started. Right, so you can say, well, you cannot automate any possible QA check. There will always be, um, uh, in the end of the day, some experience that cannot be necessarily predicted, so it cannot be automated right away. But it has been solved with what is called exploratory testing, right? So you let people run with whatever test they can come with and break the system in a completely unpredictable ways, the same way that you say someone looks at the logs and then the penny drops and they see something that um, wasn't encoded, but then they caught it in. So from this time on, everything uh, in the future, it will always be tested. Isn't it the same idea? Absolutely. If you can do it, absolutely. So, so those types of, um, you know, for instance, when we do, when we run thread hunting exercises, that is the goal. Um, when I'm thread hunting, I'm looking for those, I'm looking at those logs, I'm looking for those indications that I've got something going on um, on the network. Um, if I can automate that after the fact so that I don't have to run a whole thread hunt exercise just for that specific hypothesis again, great. Automate it and then move on. And this way I can be focused on stuff I don't have automations for. Um, so absolutely, I, I, I do totally agree with you on that. Yeah, so I tried to uh, um, pick a fight for you by, with that about automation. Didn't work out. Uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I think on this optimistic note that we all agree how uh, important automation is. Um, I want to uh, thank Jeffrey for coming to Deus Pekizi. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We're going to, uh, the show notes for this episode will be especially long. We have tons of interesting <laughs> stuff that we discussed and we can put in the links for people uh, to, to learn more, especially obscure um, uh, IoT uh, security uh, problems. That's fascinating by itself. Uh, Kat, <laughs> thank you very much uh, for hosting with me. My name is Baruch. Our Twitter handles are right here. Don't forget to follow us. Um, here you go. Now we see it on the screen as there well. <laughs> ah, here you go. Perfect. Thank you very much and bye-bye. Bye now.